I thought about how that sometimes life can be filled with questions. How many of you have ever had questions? And, you know, the, the, the challenge is, is, are you going to go through life always questioning or will you find another way to navigate life? Let's take a look at what happens when you go through life with questions. Whatever. Check one, two. <laughs> oh, and by the way, um, also, when you get done with your bed, can you, can you make the dishes for me, please? <sighs> come on. Why don't you do the dishes? Jazz, come on. I'm trying to teach you some things. Just please do the dishes. Be thankful. I you know, you should really be. be Okay, well, after you get done with the dishes, you can be where you need to be, Ugh, right? My gosh. <sighs> can I please have the keys to the car? I need to go somewhere. Please. Like, when do you need to go somewhere? Like Now. No, sweetheart, I, I can't let you. I, I got to have the car right now. Why? You're not doing anything. Listen, I'm doing, I have plans. I, I'm doing what are your plans? What no, could you possibly listen, be doing? Listen, I have yes, somewhere I need to be. Yes. My friends are waiting on me. It's my car, my, my keys. Come on. Life is just so miserable. Why would you do this to me? Oh, my gosh. Does that sound like a scene at your house? <laughs> Life can be filled with questions. And sometimes we spend so much time questioning God that we miss the greater points of life. And that's trusting God. I want to uh, read Psalms chapter 6, verses 2, 3, and 6. This is from the Amplified. It says, have mercy on me and be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am weak, faint, and frail. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed and anguished. My soul as well as my body is greatly dismayed. But as for you, O Lord, how long until you act on my behalf? I am weary with my groaning. Every night I soak my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your word. Just to ask you, God, to have your way in the service today. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. I want to leave this thought with you today. When questions become declarations, would you say that with me? When questions become declarations. So David is appealing to God, and he's asking God to come and help him, but he's also questioning God. How many of you have ever been there before? He says, how long, oh Lord? I mean, come on, how long is this going to go on? It's like Jasmine with the dishes, you know? Life just isn't fair. How many of you ever had to wash dishes? 
How many of you ever had to pack out trash? How many of you ever had to make your bed? I can't believe that life can be that hard. Isn't it odd how that we can get focused wrong? But all of a sudden in this Psalm, David comes to himself and there's a shift that happens. And you see that happen in verse 8. He says, depart from me all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly horrified. Let them turn back. Let them suddenly be ashamed of what they have done. What's David saying? David turned his question into a declaration. He said, let my enemies be afraid. Let them be terrified. Why? Because God had heard his prayer. The scripture says weeping may endure for a night, but joy, everybody say joy, joy cometh in the morning. Listen to what David says after this. This is in Psalm 61 verses 1 and 2. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. Now watch this. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. What's David saying? David is recognizing that there are times that my circumstances overwhelm me. There are times that the situation that I'm in seems bigger than I can navigate. And this is what he says up front. He said, when that happens, would somebody please lead me to the rock? Would somebody please take time? How many of you have ever had someone that was just overwhelmed with something and you knew it? It doesn't do any good if, if when that happens, let me borrow you a minute, honey. If when that happens, we take them and we hear their story and we look at them and we go, oh my goodness, I don't know what you're going to do. I, I just, you know, you made me depressed just talking to me. How many of you have ever went to someone looking for counsel and you ended up more depressed after you left the meeting than you did before you got there? You know, you, you go looking for some help, and, but, but David is saying, look, if you see me when I'm overwhelmed, you do me a favor and take me by the hand and say, you know what, we're going to go pray about this because uh, there's a rock that's bigger than you are, it's higher than you are, it's able to take care of whatever you're facing. When your question becomes a declaration, David understood that only God can turn questions into declarations. Listen to what he says in Psalm 66, 16. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. He wanted everyone to know that there's some things that God saw him through. He wanted everyone, he was declaring that, look, I've had some rough times in my life. As a matter of fact, at one point, David makes this declaration, I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging bread. Our faith is a progression. There are times when we have questions, but if we continue to follow after him, it will lead us away from the questions into the declarations. How many of you feel like sometimes you just need to declare something? I declare it's just hard. (laughs) I declare this ain't fair. See, the declaration needs to be based in his word, not in your situation. 
not in your circumstance. My dad always had a way of, you know, when you started questioning, he, he had a way of uh, getting your attention. He told me to pack out the trash one day, and I remember I was stomping off. How come I always got to pack out the trash? <laughs> I declare I'm so happy to be able to pack the trash out. <laughs> you know, there are things that we face in life that we bring on ourselves. Everything isn't the devil's fault. There are other things that come on us not as a form to destroy us, but a way to cause us to shine. How many of you know what happens when you put coal under a tremendous amount of pressure over a long period of time? If I had me a guitar... I'm just an old lump of coal. I don't even know the tune of that song, but I'm going to be a diamond someday. You know what I'm talking about? That when you find yourself, and, and James makes this statement. James said, count it all joy when you win the lottery. No. He said, count it all joy. I got an amen from George. I've been playing for years. I ain't hit nothing yet. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Somebody tell him what I was talking about later, okay? So, so. Here's, here's the deal. Here's what you've got to understand is that, that that seems contrary to nature. And the truth is, it is contrary to our nature. But it's not contrary to his. Amen. He said, you counted all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Why? Because... The purifying, the trying of your faith is more precious than gold. Any of you ever have somebody give you a gift of gold? Anybody? You know, I mean, I I gave my wife a gold ring. (laughs) It's the only way I could get her to marry me. No, I'm I'm kidding. But what I'm saying is we we give like... You know, a, a gold necklace or a gold ring or a gold cross, and those things are, you know, it's like, and then we look after somebody gives it to you, you always wait until they leave, and then you turn it over to see if it says 14 carat. <laughs> so it's real or is this just gold plated? I, I have never had anyone come up and hand me a bar of gold. Life just isn't fair, is it? You know what I'm talking about? A bar of gold. We, this is what I, I want you to get is that sometimes we set our sights on things that we consider so valuable, but in God's eyes, gold is just asphalt. <laughs> what are the streets made out of in heaven? You spend all, you know, we, we, we spend our time, we invest in gold. Would, what would you feel like, those of you that are in the financial field, how would you feel if somebody came into your office and they gave you their portfolio and you found out that they had just invested in a lot of parking lots? 
I've got, man, I've got stock in an asphalt company. And I'm going to retire. God owns everything. And what he's trying to show us that there are things that are more valuable than just gold. There is, there are things that are more, how many of you, I've, I've met rich people that would have given anything to just have peace in their family. A friend of mine spent hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to save his son. And he, I, I can tell you right now, he would have given every last penny he had to have been able to do that. But you know what happened? God saved his son. He died, but God saved his son. Not in a temporal world, but in a world that's everlasting. Everybody say it with me, questions. Let's take a look at the father of faith. Who's the father of faith? Abraham. When Abraham, God speaks a promise to Abraham, and Abraham hears the promise. In Genesis, the Lord tells him, I'm going to make you a great nation, make your name great, make you a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He heard it. He believed it. Romans 4 and 3 says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. He walked toward it. He walked toward that promise. Hebrews 11 and 8, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. So he heard God, he believed God, and he walked toward God. But to Abraham and Sarah, it seemed like God's promise was just always out of their reach. How many of you have ever pulled a muscle reaching for something? You know what I'm talking about? David uh, Davis and I were up on uh, the roof last Saturday, and we were power washing. Gerald was down on the parking lot, and I was, I, I was reaching and this wasp came up. Pop David on the finger. Man, his hand starts swelling up. David said, Pastor, it's your message. I'm shaking it off. I'm shaking it off. That wasp started circling around me, and, I, and, and he was trying to do this, and I went to do a reach, and I went, ah! And when I did, man, I had something seize up in my side, and I didn't even know I had that in my side. But something seized up, and I went, oh, and David's looking, are you okay? You okay? Yeah, hang on, hang on. I was trying to find a position that I could get into that would alleviate the pain I was in. That didn't just go over your head, did it? You see, you have to seek the right position if you want your pain 
alleviated. You got to find that place with God where questions turn into declarations. So it always seemed out of Abraham and Sarah's reach. So they decided to do what we try and do a lot of times, and that's give God a hand. Felt like God needed some help, and so Hagar and Ishmael show up. Here you go, God. And God said, say what? <laughs> here, here, we've, we've, got, we, we, we've got this problem, I mean this promise thing of yours all figured out. Uh-uh. That's the way, that, that's your solution, not mine. You're trying to fulfill my will with your ideas instead of allowing me to do what I promised I would do. Listen to what he does. <laughs> all of a sudden after they go through all this, God tells them he doesn't need their help. God tells Abraham to change, his, to change his wife's name to Sarah because he's going to give her a son and she's going to be the mother of nations. Abraham's 100 years old. When Abraham hears this, here's his response to it. It's found in Genesis 17, 17 and 18. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man as who, who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Watch what Abraham says to God. He says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. I'm 100 years old. You're wearing me out. I'm 100 years old. I'm just tired of waiting. Anybody, come on, let's be real. Has anybody ever been there? Have you ever just been before God and said, God, I'm just so tired of waiting on this promise. I'm just so tired of life the way it is. I am just so tired of things going the way they're going and not change. Come on, God, can't you just do it my way? And God is compassionate, and God is loving, and God is understanding, and God said to Abraham, No! There's your answer. No. What's he saying? My way has always been better than your way. My way has always been the right way. You're the one that's getting frustrated, not me. I'm still right on schedule. You're the one that thinks things aren't popping the way they ought to be popping. I'm on schedule. And he tells him, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You're going to call his name Isaac. I'll establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. So guess what? Sarah gave birth to a son <laughs> at 90 years old. Abraham's 100. I want you to get, grasp this because I've, there, there's something I've learned about the character of God. Is that God will take you to the point in your faith where you feel like it's impossible. And then he'll do it to prove to you that it's not. He'll carry you to a point in your life where you feel like it's too late. And then he'll reel you back in. I met a young man, the Lord spoke to me to go over to this town and talk to this guy. I drove six, seven miles to get there. When I got there, his mother told me he's not home. I'm standing on her front porch and I said, he's not here? 
And she said, no, he's not here. He's working. And I, I'm scratching my head. And I, and I looked at her and I said, man, I know God spoke to me to come over here and talk to him. And she looked, I was standing in the doorway. She looked over my shoulder and she said, well, here he comes walking down the road. He had been on a tractor. He was five miles from his house, had been on a tractor, and he got to the house, and when he walked up on that porch, he said, I can't explain it. He said, I was on that tractor, and something told me to come home. God set it up that I drove eight miles in the same time that it took him to walk five miles, or he set it up where we arrived at the same time. And I looked at him and I started talking to him about how God loved him and God wanted to save him. And he started shaking and said, well, God can't save me, man. I've been on drugs. I've been doing this. I've been doing that and all this. And I, I'm a very patient man. And he's going through all this. And he said, oh, God can't. And I looked at him. I said, would you do me a favor and quit telling my God what he can and what he can't do? I said, God is well able to save you. Who do you think he is? Man, the next thing I know, this boy's filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, man, and the Spirit of God's all over him. Amen. I'm telling you that God is bigger than your question. Amen. And so Abraham sees God answer, and it, it did, when Abraham walked through that, it did something to his faith. It caused his faith to progress. Isn't it amazing how that when God does something for you, it causes you to trust God more? You tend to believe God in a greater fashion. So now here comes Abraham's next challenge. God speaks to Abraham and he said, I want you to take your son, your only son, the one you love. <laughs> I can't help it, man. It's like God's setting this up. Go take your son. I'm not talking about Ishmael. I'm talking about your only son in my eyes, Isaac, the one you love. And I want you to take him to Moriah, and you're going to offer him there as a sacrifice on a mountain that I'm going to show you. You know what's amazing, what's missing from that story is Abraham's question. What? Why? How come? It's not there. Because Abraham had come to know God in a greater measure. And Abraham's questions had turned into declarations. So he walks with a group of young men, and he looks at those young men, and he say, you all stay here. Me and my boy, we're going to go up there and worship, and we will come back to you. Oh, you didn't hear what I said. We will come back to you. What's he saying? He's saying, I know that I've got something facing me that I've never faced before, but I believe, and the Hebrews records this, it said that Abraham believed that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. Do you understand there comes a point in your life where you stop questioning God and you begin to declare, yes, he is, yes, he is, yes, he is. Job makes a statement and he makes a declaration and says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I'm not budging. I'm not moving. Well, it's one thing for those guys to ask him, but his own son looked up at him and said, Dad, 
I see the wood and the fire for the burnt offering, but where's the lamb? Abraham knew full well what God asked him to do. And there may have been questions running through his mind, but he would not give voice to them. And he looked at that boy and he said, Son, God will provide himself a lamb. I want you to hear me today. I don't know what you're walking through, but I want you to understand that God will provide. He came off that mountain with a new name for God, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, a God that's able in the midst of circumstances that seem like they're impossible to show up in the middle of them and show himself real and show that he's still in control. I thought about the Apostle Paul. He'd been religious his whole life. His name's Saul before, you know, he gets changed. And, and, and he's been religious his whole life. Everybody say his whole life. He said he came up at the feet of Gamaliel. He, he, he's, he grows up in this. He knows this stuff. But when... You have religion and no relationship with God. It can create all kinds of trouble. That's why he's giving his consent to the killing of Christians. That's why he's on his way to Damascus to arrest more of them so he can imprison them and watch them tortured. Religion without relationship with God can produce brutal people. Have you ever run into any? Bless God. You're just holy enough. One of the things that almost turned me away from God was plastic, phony people. And I had to learn early in life that that's not who God is. And when I got my focus on God, all those other folks didn't have control of me anymore. You see, sometimes we're serving people and not God. We're going through a list of do's and don'ts without relationship. And there's something I found out is that when those folks break free from that list of do's and don'ts and they haven't developed a relationship, they usually swing real far the other way. Relationship makes all the difference. If you don't think that religion without relationship will make you brutal, take a look at 9-11. That was all done in the name of religion. If there had been any relationship with God involved in that, it would have never happened. So when Jesus speaks to Paul, Paul has to ask the question, who are you, Lord? After all those years, Paul discovered he didn't know God the way he thought 
he knew God. Anybody ever been there before? You ever, you ever been where you felt like you really had a relationship with God and then you never know what's in the pot until it gets put on the boiler? <laughs> you know, that's when you find out what's in the teapot. Ever, you know, it's, everybody can be happy <laughs> when everybody's good to you. When everybody's walking around, oh, praise the Lord. You're so wonderful, sister. You're such a wonderful person. Oh, brother, you're just so wonderful. People scare me when they start doing stuff like that. Because I always figure there's an ulterior motive here. I've had people come up to me. Man, one of the things that used to scare me beyond words is when we were traveling, people would come up and they'd start, oh, you're the best preacher I've ever heard. You're, you're so wonderful. You're, and I'm thinking, I need to find a way out of here. Because <laughs> that stuff, if you're not careful, you let it get in your head and it'll take you down. Amen. He, resists, he resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And so, Paul finds out he didn't know God quite the way he thought he knew God. You want to find out how much God you got in you, let somebody cut you off in traffic. (laughs) Praise the Lord, brother. Hope you have a wonderful day. Let somebody cheat you out of something. Good thing for you. I'm a preacher. (laughs) Really? You're a preacher? Yeah. You need to get saved. You know what I'm talking about? I'm just trying to be real. Sometimes we find out we're not just quite as close as we thought we were. But watch this. When Paul realizes what his life has been, and when he encounters Jesus, and he finds a relationship with God through Christ, there's no stopping him. I said, there is no stopping him. When Paul begins to face tough times, he responds with a declaration. He's not saying, who are you, Lord? Listen to what he says in Philippians. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And this is his conclusion. He said, Instead of saying, why am I going through this? He says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. We take that verse out of context and talk about how we can whip up on the devil. That's not what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, I've seen some tough times. I've seen some rough days, but those rough days never got my song. Those rough days never stole my joy. Those rough days never took me out of the presence of God because I can do all things through Christ. Got a relationship now. Everybody say relationship. If you've got a good relationship with your wife, we got a good relationship. We got a great relationship. Okay, good. 
You've got a good relationship with your wife and somebody starts talking about you behind your back, you're going to see Mama Bear come alive. What? I'll never forget. Thank you. Come up here. Look at him like Mama Bear. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's why I can sleep safe at night, folks, right there. I watched one time when a family member, we're not going to mention any names, or whose family it was, I'll just leave you to decide that. But they hollered at our daughter, and she was just about three years old or two, and we didn't, ho- we, did, we didn't holler at our children. And one of them hollered at her and had her in tears. And I watched that little frail thing come alive. She stood up and looked at them and said, we don't holler at our children. And if you want to live to see tomorrow, you better not holler at them either. I took a little bit of artistic license with that phrase. But the message was clear. And it was why it was because when you've got relationship, you rise to the top. Debbie, the other day she came to me this weekend. We were talking about all you folks behind your back. And, and, And she said, man, she said, I just love our church family. And I said, I know. I said, I do too. That's not hype. That's not fluff and stuff. That's the reality of what God does when he puts you in relationship with each other. It creates a special, unique bond. But pastor, but you walk on water. No, if you want to walk on water, you had to be at VBS to do that. They walked on water there. We all struggle, right? We all have battles. But there's something bigger than our battle. There's something bigger than our struggle. There's something bigger than our question. His name is Jesus. In Romans 8... It's, I, I, I hope you go back to read these because I have to go through them pretty quickly. But Romans, the eighth chapter, is filled with declarations from Paul. I'm going to share just a couple with you. He says in Romans 8, 18, and then verse 31, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, for you to grasp how powerful that is... You need to understand what Paul had been through. He said, I've been stoned twice. I've been shipwrecked. He said, I have been left for dead. He said, I've been in peril in the country and in the city. 
Everywhere Paul went, he had been in danger. He had suffered so much affliction. He had suffered at the hands of so many people. They had to let him down in a basket over a wall to save his life because they were going to kill him. This is the man that wrote, I perceive the sufferings we go through in this present life aren't even worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying what's waiting on me is so much greater than what I'm going through right now. What's before me is greater than where I am right now. Turn around and look at your neighbor and say, God ain't done with me yet. God's not done with me yet. You ain't what you ought to be. No, but I ain't what I used to be either. God isn't done with me yet, and I am on a journey. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Well, he had, he had a whole religious nation against him. But Paul didn't care. If God's for me, who can be against me? He's been arrested by the greatest, most powerful nation on the earth. If God's for me, who can be against me? He has a revival in Caesar's household. You've got to understand, just because you're going through something doesn't mean that you're not powerful. Just because you may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death doesn't mean you can't have a party. Well, who am I going to party with? Well, God, because he's with you. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. Look at what Paul tells us in Romans 37 to 39, 8. This is chapter 8. Yet in all these things... We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's he saying? He's God is covered. Paul believed that God could do anything. And he wasn't afraid to declare it. His last declar- the last declaration I'm going to show you with Paul shows you how much he believed and how, how, how focused he was. This is in Ephesians 3 and 20 in the Amplified. Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams, according to his power that is at work within Isn't it amazing that you can always tell what's in somebody? Anger's in there. I don't know what's in there. But when mama drops down on her knees... And begins to pray for her family. And she's not weeping tears of desperation. But she's declaring a thing. 
there is power at work within her. Paul said he's able to do super abundantly, exceedingly abundantly, above all you can ask or think, all you can pray or dream or hope for, according, according to the power of God that worketh in us. Everybody say according. If you don't let him inside, it ain't happening. Everybody say, open up your heart and let the sun shine in. According to his power that's at work. Now, sometimes questions can rise from being overwhelmed with our circumstances, and I understand that. Look, even Jesus questioned. Do you remember where it's at? He's overwhelmed. And here comes the question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's going on? You have to understand something about Christ. In Colossians 2 and 9, it says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. In another place, John the Baptist said that he had received it without measure. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. There wasn't a day that Jesus did not walk filled with the presence of God. Until that day on the cross, when all of a sudden something transpired there. The scripture says, in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He felt all the sin of the world come crashing down upon him in one instant. And when that happened, for that instant, the presence of God shifted and God judges sin on the cross in Christ and he says my God my God why have you forsaken me he'd never felt sin's guilt he'd never felt sin's weight he'd never felt sin's depression but in that one instant, he felt it for everyone, not just in that present world, but in the world to come. He felt it all fall on him. And the question comes crying out from an overwhelming circumstance. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But all of a sudden, as God judges sin on the cross, there's a shift in the heavens. And sin that had weighed us down, sin that had beat us up, sin that had laid us in shame, all of a sudden is erased in the cross of Calvary. And he steps forward, still hanging on that cross. And the Bible said he cried out with a loud voice, not the voice of a dying man, not a weak and frail voice, but with a loud voice, he cried out, it is finished. And in that moment, 
He led captivity captive. He grabbed hold of spiritual darkness and put it under his feet. And now, my friend, you and I have been made a joint heir with Christ. I think it's about time we make a declaration. How about you? Would you stand with me right now? <laughs> when, when he made his declaration, it is finished. Do you know what started happening? Because declarations move things in the atmosphere. The Bible said that the earth began to shake. Rocks started exploding. They just blown apart. That a veil that's in the temple that was so strong that if you tied two horses together, they couldn't pull it apart. It said that veil was torn from the top to the bottom. What's that symbolic of? God said, I've come down to man. It didn't go from the bottom to the top. It came from the top to the bottom. God's saying, I'm reaching down to rescue you. You know what else happened that day? Nothing really worth talking about. Just a bunch of graves opened up and dead people got out and started walking around. It said, it said that the saints that had died rose up and started walking. Can you imagine that? Somebody not showing up at your door knocking. Well, hello, how are you doing? You're looking good. I haven't seen you since your funeral. It got, this thing didn't happen in a corner. For people that try and blow this off and say, oh, that's just man-made, it's because you haven't bothered to research history. Because this has been authenticated more than any other writing in all of the world. We've got a reason to declare something. The heavens declare it. The scripture says the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. It's time for us to do it. We're going to let his word help us. This is what I want you to do. I want you to step out from where you're at. Come forward right now. Everybody just shift out a little bit and come forward. I'm not going to run down and grab you. At least not right away. No, I'm kidding. Just come on down. You, we have to learn how to start declaring something. You know, I told you about the time that my older brother went to school and he got beat up and he came home and, you know, mom's asking him, what, what's going on? How, what happened? He says, this boy jumped on me and beat me up. And he said, well, what, what'd you do? And he said, he didn't do anything. He didn't fight back because dad had told him, if you get in a fight, you're going to get a whipping. So the next morning, mom took him up to the bus stop and assured Daryl that he was not going to get a whipping. And she found the boy that had beat Daryl up. He said, who is it, Daryl? And he pointed out the boy. And she said, okay, Daryl, now I'm going to stand here and make sure nobody else jumps in. Now go whip him. <laughs> we let the devil wear us out. And our daddy's the biggest daddy of them all. He said, you've been made a joint heir with Christ. 
What's he saying? He's saying, I've given you the power to be an overcomer. Do you know that the devil is scared to death when you start believing and trusting God? It gives him a nervous breakdown, man, when all of a sudden you wake up and you say, well, praise God, this is the day the Lord's made. Now, wait a minute. You're going through some stuff. You're not supposed to be talking like that. Well, hallelujah anyhow. We've, 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 dealt with, we've dealt a bitter blow to your finances. Well, praise God, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. But you don't understand. I mean, we've, you're, you're not feeling well, are you? You look picky. You, look, you, look, you don't look well. You don't, well, praise God, I'm a child of the king. When you make declarations instead of questions, it changes the atmosphere. So I want to give you a hand today. We're going to make some declarations. Get, get close to somebody that you can declare a thing with. We're going to reword some of this stuff. We're going to start in 2 Timothy 1 and 7. Are you ready? Repeat after me. For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. I declare that in Jesus' name. So the next time you get afraid, you're going to stand up and say, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. You think God's word won't make the devil squirm? Try quoting it sometime around somebody that's messed up. I had a guy come in. We got called one night. A guy came in, man, wiggling around on a floor like a snake. I went in there, I looked at him, and I said, buddy, I said, you can wiggle all night long. I'm not wrestling you. I said, but I am going, and I got the hold of the word, and I started declaring some things over him, and all of a sudden, man, it started changing the atmosphere. Debbie got a call. She went in, and some guy, you know, that was muscled up, I, I was, I don't even know where I was at. I was, I think, I was out of the country, and they called her to come to the church, and this guy, man, is full-fledged. I mean, he's got wild eyes and everything else. They show up at the car and he's in that car and man, he's looking like he's, you know. And Debbie went over to the car door, opened that car door and man, he looked at her like he's gonna rip her apart. And she said, in the name of Jesus, get out of that car. Man, he said, all of a sudden, it's like something took his leg and threw it out. He's looked like Frankenstein coming across that parking lot. She said, now in the name of Jesus, get in that church. And I never forget her dad said, all of a sudden those back doors opened up. He said, I didn't see Debbie. Said, all I saw was this guy coming walking into the church like this. And said, then there's Debbie behind behind him with her hand on him, saying, in the name of Jesus, get on your knees. Declare a thing. We do not have the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Check this one out, Psalm 68. Blessed be the Lord who loads us with benefits. What kind of job you got? My benefits are out of this world. God that loads us with benefits. The God of our salvation. Proverbs 10 and 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. How come you always happy? 
because no sorrow comes with it. Some of you look like you need to eat a box of Kaboom cereal. You know what I'm talking about? Your zip looked like it got zapped. Every once in a while, you just got to make yourself happy. Remember, the, or I know I got you up here for a long time, but I figured I've stood up for the last 30 minutes. You can stand up for 10. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your possession and with the first fruits of all your increase. Now watch. So, everybody say so. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. That, my friend, was a declaration when I got a hold of it, transformed my life forever. Trans You're looking at a person that when I was young, I didn't pay tithing because I didn't know about tithing. But when I got a hold of that and I began to look in Scripture and see that for myself, man, it transformed everything we did. I gave away an old van and God gave me a brand new van. I gave, we, we, we paid off a, 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 a church that, that owed, it was just a couple of grand that the church owed and paid it off and tried to do it without them knowing it. And within a year's time, God had paid our home off. And man, it was a lot more than that church was. When you declare a thing, and don't just speak it, but do it. Jeremiah 30, 17. For I will restore your health and heal your wounds, says the Lord. I didn't say that. He said that. I will restore your health. So when you're standing up and you're struggling with something, you just declare the thing. The Lord, Lord, you said I will restore your health and heal you of your wounds. Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Every, come on, declare it with me. We are healed. We are healed. I'm getting ready to wrap up. Just stay with me for a couple more seconds. Deuteronomy 28, you hear me say some of these verses at the end of each service. I want to show you that in Deuteronomy 28, it's a chapter of declaration by God. God making promises to you contingent on if you'll follow him. Listen to what he says. Deuteronomy 28 and 3. You will be blessed in the city and you will be blessed in the field. 6 and 7, you will be blessed when you come in and you will be blessed when you go out. The Lord will cause the enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way, but they'll flee before you seven ways. 28 and 10, so all the people of the earth will see that you're called by the name of the Lord and they will be afraid of you. Look out. There go one of them. Verse 12. You will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. I'm declaring that over not just this church, but over every individual in this church. God will bless us 
to be a blessing. Do you know why I want to see this church's mortgage gone? Because I think about what we pay every month. And I thought, God, how we could make an impact in the kingdom if that wasn't going to a bank, but going into the field instead. Don't misunderstand. I'm thankful for this building. I thank God for it. And I thank God for you because you're a giving church and you're generous. We gave over $6,000 to Brother Cameron last week. That was in the offering. I think $6,400 given in the offering plus all the pledges that went in. He sat in my office and he said, I feel a connection here. Now, I know when folks are, you know, blowing wind and when they really mean it. He really meant it because he... You know, when, when you do mission work, sometimes you go in places and, and they just don't get it. But when you've been there and you've done it, you understand it. I'm telling you that God has given you a mission field. You may never cross the sea, but you can cross the street. And God is going to use you right where you're at. And finally, 28 and 13, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. So today, I want to speak Joshua's declaration over you. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. (laughs) Come on, say it with me. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Say it in. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So guess what happens when you get in the vicinity of my house? It's no more than just a tent, right? Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So when I cover you in my prayer and I'm asking God for you, I know God is going to apprehend your heart and you're going to find that river that flows and makes joy a part of your life. Amen. Getting ready to pray. I want you to get somebody by the hand. Last night, how many of you ever, how many of you know that God's not supposed to move in public? but only in the church house, right? I mean, but that's what people think. Yet I've seen God move in public places. Debbie has, she's got this thing about her that, I mean, she'll get somebody in a gas station and she won't let them leave until they give their heart to God. It's just, it's it's odd, It's, it's, it's supernatural because of what God does, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're facing, God can take care of it. So this is what I want you to do. Take each other by the hand right now. You're going to start declaring some things over your family, over your life, over your situation. Are you ready for that? We're not going, I know sometimes circumstances can be overwhelming, And we have questions, and that's okay. God understands that. But don't let the question define you. Let the declaration be what defines you. Job was going through some stuff, and he had questions. 
but he let the declaration define him. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. He made his declaration. It's time for us to declare a thing. Are you ready for it? Come on, stretch those hands to heaven. Say it with me right now. God, in the name of Jesus, I declare today that I will not be brought down, but I will rise up in your word, in your spirit, and in your authority. I declare I will not give in, but I will hold on. I declare I am not going to complain, but I am going to rejoice. I declare my family is coming to you, whether they realize it or not. In the name of Jesus, I declare it right now, right now, right now, in Jesus' name. Come on and give my hand clap of praise in this house. So at the close of this service, this is what I'm asking you to do. I want you to get into the habit. And next month, we're getting ready to start a time of prayer and sacrifice. I'll, I'll have more information for you on that later. I'm not calling it fasting because th- th- I want this to be sacrifice. I'm talking about giving up. Our kids are getting ready to go back to school. I want us to create a prayer covering for them. Take off that tent as for me and my house. Cover those children with your house, with your prayers. We're going to see God use our children to do extraordinary things in the school this year. That's what I'm declaring. I'm declaring a thing. We're going to see revival break out in our school system. I'm declaring a thing. But we have to give them the prayer cover for it. Are you ready to do that? All right. Take somebody by the hand right now. Say it with me. God, I know you're able. And I refuse to be defined by questions. I choose to declare a thing in Jesus' name. God bless you today. I love somebody. Let them know that they are the head and not the tail. That God's blessing going out and coming in. And I want you to get ready to move in to your best days. Amen. Let the darkness beat me down